morning. It's good to see everyone this morning. You can open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3 for our scripture reading this morning. Proverbs chapter 3. And just a couple of things while you're turning there. One is um, we are providing a uh, uh, scripture reading schedule for you. We tried to read through the New Testament this past year, and this year we're going to do the uh, Old Testament. Last year we read the, through the New Testament with Psalms on the weekend. This year it'll be the Old Testament with Proverbs on the weekends. It's an aggressive schedule. If you divide the Old Testament apart from the Psalms up in the weeks, it's 15 chapters a week. And so it's quite an aggressive reading schedule. But don't be discouraged. Maybe you said, I didn't even finish last year. And that's not the point of having to you know, be... Um, you know, just to strictly keep to a schedule, but the more important thing is that we get in God's Word, and we, and we learn about the person of God, the mind of God, the plan of God, so whether or not you can keep up, we encourage you to, to uh, uh, tackle it and, um, and make the Word of God a priority. We've got to fill our minds with something and our time with something throughout the day, and I encourage you to do so. There's a schedule that looks like this. It's on the back table. It'll be monthly in the bulletin. I think I missed out on this month's, but we'll put it in the bulletin um, going forward yeah, each month. And if you want this emailed to you or text or whatever, I'll be glad to do that if you want to have it electronically. So just let me know. Also in regards to the Word, just a reminder that our messages are available on our website via podcast. If you go to the, just look for Media Heroes Bible Church, you'll find our website. And there's a, right on the first page there is a player uh, with our messages. Um, last week we spent the wonderful... Um, a few minutes in Proverbs chapter 2. If you missed it, I encourage you to, to, to uh, listen. And I believe that as God leads his church, he leads us together to study the portions of scripture he has, has for us. And I think it's important to keep up, if possible, with those messages as, as we learn together and grow together as God's family here. Also, would mention that um, next week we're going to be starting the book of Romans. And uh, here on Sunday morning, so if you want to read a little bit of that, familiarize yourself with that, it's always helpful. And uh, of course, on Wednesday nights, we're going through First John, and um, it's been a wonderful study, a wonderful study to see what God has for us in our lives, and I encourage you to attend, and, and uh, we, as always, we could always use some more prayer warriors to join us as well. There's lots going on in our nation, in our world, our church even, and, uh, and we are told as a church to pray together, so if you want to join us for that, we'd... We'd enjoy having you. One other commercial before we're done is that we did schedule family camp out. Um, it's scheduled for the week end of August 9th. And so put it in your calendars, uh, make your reservations, whatever, and we look forward to uh, another enjoyable weekend, the weekend of August 9th. Okay. Proverbs chapter 3. We're just going to read a few verses here beginning in verse 1. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Let's pray. Father, 
We are thankful once again for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we celebrate him every day of the year. Father, for in him we have found the forgiveness of sins, the assurance of heaven, and, and a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Father, thank you that in your love you not only gave yourself for us, but in your love you're patient with us, you're, you're long-suffering, you're merciful, you're kind, you provide for us, watch over us, protect us. Father, you are preparing a place for us. And Father, we're so thankful for that. And Father, we pray as we approach your, your word today that we do so in, true, in a true spirit of worship, in a fear and awesome respect of who you are and what you have done, and that we would desire to learn more of the wonderful words of life. Father, in your word, we find understanding and wisdom. We find understanding in, in life and what life is about and, and why things are the way they are and what your plans are for the future and why, you are, why we are like we are and what you have provided for us in order to navigate life here. And so, Father, give us wisdom and direction as we study your word once again this morning. And, Father, we pray also for those who are away from us. Whatever their needs might be, wherever they are, Father, we commit them to your care and your love and just trust you'll watch over them even today. And for churches, Father, who are preaching your word today, we pray that as saints that we would take your word to heart, to take it seriously, that we'd just not be taking up space in the pew, but we'd allow the word of God to take up its space in our hearts that we might learn to abide in Christ and to enjoy him each and every day, that we might in turn be effective for into the, in, the, in our communities around us. And Father, we pray for those around us, Father, those who maybe over the Christmas season heard the message of, of, of the good news of Christ, the reason he came, for he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And we pray, Father, that you would continue to work in the lives of those who are needy and hurting, whose lives are broken, who are desperate, those who are on their way to eternal hell, Father, that, that we as a church would, be, would shine brightly and, and be bold in bringing them uh, the, the message of the love of Christ, the grace of God, and the salvation that was provided through the finished work of Christ. So equip us to that end today as we pray as well. And so we're thankful for this opportunity to be here. Trust you will be our teacher and guide once again as we open your word. And may the things we learn be used in our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You can turn back to Genesis chapter 41. The story of Joseph, which we've been looking at, which we're going to finish up here this morning, and he said, well, the, you might say, oh, Pastor, there's nine chapters left here, and this might be the one and only time you see me cover nine chapters in one message, but um, plan on being here for a while. I hope you brought a lunch. I'm just, just kidding. Well, the story of Joseph is a really a big picture glimpse as to how God carries out his plan in the personal lives of his children. That's what we see in the story of Joseph, because we see a man going through severe troubles and trials and difficulties. We see God at work in his life, yet we see in the background uh, that God in his sovereign love and, and, and power is carrying out his plan, even in the life of Joseph, which helps us to understand that sometimes there, there we can't explain the unexplainable. Sometimes it may not make sense to us, but it does to God, because he always carries out his divine purpose in our lives, even in the undesirable circumstances of our lives. And that's why the key phrase that we have seen in this passage is, the Lord is with Joseph. Key phrase, the Lord is with Joseph. Because it was unpleasant what he went through. And yet the Lord was with him, which means God was sovereignly watching over him, sheltering him, protecting him, and caring for him in his life. And that's the promise that we find throughout the scripture. 
that the Lord is ever with us, even at those times that we don't understand the whys of it all. We know God is watching over us. Through it, he's growing us and working all things out for our good and his glory. Romans 8.28. That's the story of Joseph in a nutshell. Romans 8.28. For all things work together for good to those who love God and for those who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say all things are good. Much things, many things in life are unpleasant because we live in a broken world full of unpleasantries. And yet we know God in his sovereignty and his love for his children works all things together for good. And so you and I can identify with the story of Joseph because there is so much bad stuff that occurs in our lives. And often we want to ask why. Why me? Why now? And, and, and so on. And so this story is recorded to teach us that at those times we can trust. We can remember that the Lord is with us, that he has good plans for us, according to Jeremiah, in which he even uses even the evils that come upon us in this broken world to fulfill his plan. Because those things will happen. However, through it all, we can trust him. Even when we don't understand, we can find rest for our souls, as Jesus said in Matthew 11. When we come to him, we can find rest because he is in control. He, he's got our backs. He is watching over us. And so God is showing us through this, this account how we can have rest in the midst of the storms of this broken world. As we get to the last part of Joseph's life, a lot of this is historical dialogue, which, in which describes what happens here in the, in the, as his family, Joseph is reunited with his family. And where we left off in chapter 41, verse 45, the famine begins. The famine that, that Pharaoh had dreamed, that, that Joseph had interpreted, begins. And so, we, so it brings us to chapter 42, then, where Joseph's brothers go to Egypt to buy grain. And they needed food, and, and God had put them in that situation for whatever his divine purpose that they needed to go to Egypt, the place where he had brought Joseph to store up grain for seven years to supply for those in the famine. And so they come to him, and it's interesting, in verse 6 of 40, chapter 42, they come before him and bow down to him because he's a ruler in Egypt. And even that's an interesting note because remember the dream that he dreamed when he was 17, that someday he would rule over his, his brothers and sisters, and here they, they fall prostrate before him. Now, in verse 8, it tells us they don't recognize him, but Joseph recognizes himself, but he chooses not to reveal himself, and that's somewhat the mystery of this portion. Instead, in verse 9, he accuses them of being spies, and he does so several times in this passage. He accuses them of being spies, and they can't be trusted, and so he throws them in, in prison for three days to sweat a little bit. Now, I don't know if Joseph was doing a little, you know, comeuppance, getting even with them, or what he had in mind. He may have simply, I believe, through this passage, been testing to see what they were going to be sincere. If they had developed any integrity, which they obviously didn't have when they sold him into slavery, if they, if they really cared about his father. And, and so he leaves him in prison for three days. And let's pick it up in verse 18. Let's read a few verses in verse 18. Thus, then Joseph said to them the third day, Do this and live, for I fear God. Now what's interesting here is... is is Joseph mentions his fear of the Lord, fear of Jehovah, Elohim, and, and which may have been foreign to, to someone in Egypt. But the important thing here is, is Joseph allowed the, the, the thought, his, his knowledge of God to bear upon his situation. He may have wanted to take vengeance. We don't know. It doesn't tell us. But he, but he allows the, the fear of God to temper his treatment of his brothers. And he says in verse 19, if you are honest men, and that might be the test, let one of your brothers be confined to your prison house, but you go and carry grain for the, the famine of your houses. And bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. 
And so Joseph gives them this test. He wants to retain one of them, but he wanted to bring them jo Benjamin. Now, Jacob had not sent Benjamin for fear of possibly losing another son, and, and that was going to be a problem. In verse 21, they said to one another, We are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear, therefore this distress has come upon us. So they, you know, their three days in prison helped them remember Joseph's unjust treatment. They threw him in a pit, they sold him into slavery, and, and now they're experiencing the same thing. And maybe God is bringing back upon them you know, what they had done to their brother. It goes around, comes around kind of idea, I guess. And, um, but they go on to say, Reuben's answered them saying, did I not speak to you saying, do not sin against the boy and you would not listen. Therefore, behold, this, his blood is now required of us. And verse goes on to tell us they didn't know J J Joseph was listening. They didn't know he could understand Hebrew. And he was speaking to them um, through his native language. So he gives them a test to bring ben Benjamin. And in verse 24, he keeps Simeon. Well, the others return for Benjamin, his really, who was his full brother, who he's maybe longing to see in the first place, one he had missed. Well, chapter 43, uh, they go home, and, and Jacob says no for a while. And in chapter 43, they're getting hungry enough to where he says, well, we, get, we have to go. And they return, they have a meal with Joseph, and in verse 30 of chapter 43, well, they're confused this whole time while they're being treated like they are, Joseph, when he sees Benjamin, has to leave the room, and he goes and weeps over the re being reunited with his brother Benjamin, but he chooses to still not reveal himself. And then he gives them a test in chapter 44. We have, that, we have the, the story of the cup, which Joseph had his people put a cup, his cup, his special cup in Benjamin's feed bag, his sack, and after they leave, they pursue them and, and find out, say that someone has stolen jo Joseph's cup, and they find it in Benjamin's bag, and there's a threat to keep Benjamin as a slave, and that's, that is very distressful to his brothers because it was the one thing Jacob had feared that when they returned, they would return without Benjamin. And here he's threatening to keep him as a slave. And in verse 18, Judah intercedes. He, he is so distressed over his father, his, the reaction of his father. He probably sees if they come home without Benjamin, his father will tip over right then. He just can't do that. And he offers to take Benjamin's place for the sake of his father. And as maybe that inter intercession then that, that finally got to Joseph. Maybe he saw that these, these, these sons had come to care about their dad, about his, about his response. They realized they had tortured him all these years in inferring to him or deceiving him into thinking Joseph had been killed. And he, he pleads to take Benjamin's place. And then in chapter 45, Joseph finally can contain himself no longer. Verse 45, look at verse 1. Chapter 45, excuse me, verse 1. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out for me. So no one stood with him, while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptian in the house of Pharaoh heard it. So quite a loud weeping, wasn't it? Then Joseph said to his brother, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. They were confused. They were intimidated and confused. And Joseph said to his brother, Please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. And so he reveals himself finally in his emotional reunion to his brothers. And yet what's interesting is what occurs next. Because 
They may have been dismayed, intimidated, confused, whatever your Bible says, because if this was Joseph, he was in a place to get even, wasn't he? If this really was Joseph. Because they, they wanted to kill him. They threw him in a pit, waited, wanted to let a, some wild animal take care of him. And they sold him into slavery, so left him for dead. And he was now number two man in Egypt in a place where he could easily have taken retribution. But he says in verse 5, as we read, don't be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. What an amazing response. Not one of vengeance, but one of grace. But it was all, but the attitude of Joseph here, that of forgiveness and, and, and reconciliation and mercy is, was all because he was aware of God's work in his life. He became acutely aware that the Lord was with Joseph. And he recognized why God had sent him there. And that it really, you know, though his brothers intended evil, as it'll state later in chapter 50, God meant it for good. God, Joseph saw a purpose in it all. And now God maybe not, doesn't always show us a purpose for what he is doing in our lives, but this reminds us that he has a purpose. And that awareness of God's hand at work in his life removed any bitterness. There's no note of bitterness here. That's amazing. This is not normal, is it? No resentment, no bitterness, no, no take vengeance. Instead, he, he, he brought forgiveness. And that's all because self was out of the picture when you, when you operate in the fear of the Lord, in a respect for God. And today we see in many cases in life people who suffer as victims. And some people call it a victim mentality, and yet many times people are legitimately abused and, and, and hurt and run over and misused. And they carry those scars for lives. For lives. But we see simply in this passage is that when a person, a believer, a child of God, sees God's hand at work in his life, it can remove that bitterness. It can heal the hurt. It can bring forgiveness. Because today's victim mentality ignores this concept that of God's working in our lives. And well, yes, the offender, the abuser is, is, is evil, has done evil. Yes, it's difficult to bear and it's abusive and hard, hard, hard to even think on. And yes, or no, I did not deserve it. But when one recognizes God's promise of a sovereign care in our lives, we can deal with our hurt, it can be healed. Bitterness can dissolve, and forgiveness can be at the forefront. That's what we have here. If anybody had a reason to get even, Joseph did. And he was a place to do it. Yet it was because he said, God sent me here. God ultimately was at work. You guys were scoundrels. No, he's not denying that. But God was ultimately watching over my life. And it reminds me of 1 Corinthians 10, 13, which says, No temptation or testing has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. That's maybe the key here. Who will not allow you to be tempted above what you're able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And it tells us that God is sovereignly at work in our lives to not put us in a situation he hasn't prepared us for. 
that which we can bear. And here, here Joseph recognizes the fact that God had a purpose in this. You know, another underlying theme is here is that Joseph, in the, in the, in the downstream of time of this event, was sat back and says, you know what? Yeah, I went through a lot of adversity, but it was okay because God had a greater plan. It was okay. God had a greater plan that I was completely unaware of at the time, but it was okay because God had a greater plan to save many people alive. So why let the tragedies of the past ruin today? That's really the question those who are carrying deep, lasting hurts. Why let the tragedy of the past, the depravity of the offender, ruin my life today? In God's grace, it could be dealt with because we can't change yesterday. You and I have a Heavenly Father who in love watches over us and cares for us. And we're reminded in Romans chapter 12, chapter 12 that vengeance is the Lord's. He's got this. He's going to take care of those who offend His children. He is a protective Father. He'll deal with them in His way and in His time. And we're better to leave our abusers or oppressors to Him instead trusting His faithfulness to us, which frees us from the hurts of yesterday. We find our comfort and love of God and our resolve to go forward in the purposes of God for us. What a wonderful example that is of leaving the past in the past and trusting the Lord in it. Well, in verse 16 of this chapter, Pharaoh invites Jacob and his family then to come, let the whole family come on down and and live here, and, and in verse 26, they go back, and, and uh, Jacob's told that Joseph's alive. What a, what a shocking thing that was. I thought he might just tip over just from that news, much less if he lost Benjamin, all these years. I don't know if these boys had to explain themselves what happened. It doesn't give us that part, but he's alive. And he's in, in after all these years. And so chapter 46, they journeyed to Egypt, they moved to Egypt, which is really... A fulfillment, if you go back to Genesis 15, a fulfillment, we find the beginning of the fulfillment of what God told Abraham. Let's jump back to Genesis 15, refresh our memories here. Genesis 15, verse 13, says, Then he, God, said to Abraham, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. Egypt, Goshen. And will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years which is what happened. 400 years they were there. And also the nation whom they served, I will judge. Red Sea. Hmm. Afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. And now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace and so on. And oh, let's, let's go on here. That you shall be buried at a good old age, but in the fourth generation they shall return here, the promised land, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And so God had a plan in all these things. And this was the beginning. The promise, the, 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 the children of promise get moved to Israel, settled in the land of Goshen in chapter 47. We find that. And in verse 37 of chapter 47, we find they grow exceedingly. They grew exceedingly, we're told here. And God grew them. There is no verse 37 in chapter 47, so I'll let you find it out in your own time. Interesting. But it tells us they grew exceedingly, which is the fulfillment of this promise. So God grew Israel in Egypt, really at Egypt's expense. And they became a mighty nation by the time they left, they left Egypt. And there's a lot of debate about how many there were. One account tells us there's six, over 600,000 men 
plus their families that left Egypt, which some would estimate would put them over 2 million people. Others have reasons to think that number's inflated, but that's a whole other study. But there were a lot of people. And God grew them. He, he grew them into a nation here in the land of Egypt. Well, we get to chapter 48. Jacob blesses Joseph and his sons. And in chapter 49, we find Jacob's last words to his sons before he dies. And that's kind of a study in itself because Jacob doesn't mince words. He lays it all out there, both the good and the bad, in evaluating his 12 sons and, and so on. And yet God does, in this chapter, jo Jacob recognizes that, that Judah will be the, the um, family that will provide the Messiah and that Joseph will be a, a, a nation of much blessed. You know, it kind of reminds us, when you read chapter 49, is what will someone write about me? Someone mentioned to me just the other day um, about, a, about a friend who passed, and, and people were posting all over Facebook wonderful comments about this person. And it makes you wonder, what are they going to write about me? What, what do we want them to write about me? And more importantly is, what is God going to write about me, isn't it? Because we're going to face him at the Bema Seat. Romans 14 tells us that we're all going to give an account before, before God. But here, in chapter 49, Jacob's last words to his sons, he gives them kind of a midlife review. This isn't an after-death review. They still have a chance to consider the observations of their father and uh, make some, some, some adjustments. Well, in Jap we find then... Jacob passes away. He's, he is returned, brought back to Canaan to be buried. And then in Genesis chapter 50, we find here Jacob once again reassuring his brothers. And this is the last page of the story. Remember we said this when we started this section? That some of us read the last page of the, of the book before we read the book? Well, this is it. We, we talked about this to begin with. And we find here... That in verse 18, let's, start, let's pick it up in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us. Now it's time to get afraid. Dad's gone. May he, he may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now now please forgive the trespasses of the servants of God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Not because of the forgiveness, but because they lied again. I think he was smart enough to know that uh, this, this was fabricated to them because they were just worried about their own skin. And so his brothers, verse 18, went and fell down before his face and said, Behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid, for I am in the place of God. Isn't that wonderful? What does he mean? He says, It's God's place to take vengeance. Not mine. It's God's place. Mind the place of God. He's going to judge you. He'll deal with you. That's his job. And he tells them, but for you. He says, you meant evil against me. He recognized that. But God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Therefore, don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And what you see on these pages is grace, grace, and more grace from the person of Joseph because he left his offenders, and his circumstances in the hand of his God. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, 
we sometimes say is a counterpart to Romans 8.28, which we began with this morning, that all things work together for good. And, that's, and that's, this is the practical application of that. This is Joseph claiming that verse before it was written. In fact, rewriting it in another context. That you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to, to order to bring it about, as it is this day, to save many people alive. And Jacob had recognized that throughout his life. If you go back to chapter 41, let's just bounce back there for a moment. We see Jacob, after going through the, the hardships he went through, recognizing this when he named his sons. Verses 51, it says, So Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil in my father's house. In other words, he's put the past in the past. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And so here Jacob, God, Jacob was recognizing God's hand in his life. Excuse me, Joseph, thank you. Someone's correcting me, good thing, thank you. He's making Joseph forget the past and, and recognize the fruitfulness of walking with God in the present. Then if you jump to chapter 45, we saw once again where Jacob, in dealing with and is re revealed to his brothers, mentions the reasons God sent them there, to save many people alive. You know, and that's the part of the story that we must remember, that God had orchestrated all these events in Jacob's life to save many people, many people even beyond the Israelites, e the Egyptians and other nations that would come to Egypt for the food that Jacob had stored up. But we also recognize that something that maybe whether or not Jacob was aware of or not, is that, is that his family was the line of the Messiah. And God was preserving that. And God allowed the famine in the land. The famine may have been intended by Satan to try to eliminate God's heritage, thwarting God's promises, getting the upper hand on God. But God had a plan. And he used one man to bring him to this land, going through some adverse circumstances in order to save many people alive. And ultimately preserving the line of the Messiah. What a wonderful privilege that came to be for Jacob. And it reminds us, as God says in Isaiah 55, 8, that God's ways are higher than our ways. When we ask why, sometimes we're not going to understand. And God instead asks us to trust when we trust him, does he not? You know, when you think of this big picture, this saving many people alive, we find that that. God in his sovereignty in the, in the struggles in Joseph's life. And we don't even see the little struggles, by the way. You know, we get the major events through the course of Jacob's journey to being number two in, in Egypt. We don't see the daily struggles that he went through. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he got to be, a, you know, the number one in the prison, but, you know, how much did, how, how cooperative were the prisoners under him and so on. And no doubt there were daily struggles. But through it all, God, he remembered that God was with him and God had a purpose which we see fulfilled here in these, in these pages. We also see another purpose of God was the growth of a nation, as we mentioned. They spent 400 years in Egypt, and in, in Exodus chapter 1, verse 7, it tells us the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. And they, grew, they multiplied and grew exponentially in the land of Egypt, which was, again, the promise from Genesis 15. We also recognize that why did, why did God leave him there for 400 years? Well, we're told in that passage we read in Genesis 15, verses 13 through 16, verse 16 says, In the fourth generation, thou shalt return 
the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And we believe that means that God was giving the Amorites, which were the people of Canaan, the promised land which God was, had given to Israel, the Amorites still had a chance. For 400 years, God gave them a chance to turn to him. He said 400 years he gave them a chance in his mercy to come to him. And he says their, their iniquity is not yet complete. Now God knew that they would, they would increasingly harden themselves towards God. And they would not turn to Jehovah as God. But God was giving them that chance, that opportunity for 400 years. So this is another reason he kept Israel and Egypt for 400 years. He brought them there. He grew them exponentially in the fulfillment of his plan and his promise. And he also extended mercy for 400 years to the land of, the, of, the, of Canaan, the Amorites, in order to give them that opportunity because God just didn't randomly give, them, give Israel their land and just rip it away from them for no reason. Even that Canaan march and conquest of the promised land was the purposes of God to discipline a people who refused to turn to him. And see, God works in ways that we can't even imagine behind the scenes, does it, does it not? Well, we consider the things that contributed to Joseph, things, things he went through, just in a review. You know, it all started with his mother dying when he was young, his father then favoring him, which created resentment. His father gave him a special gift, this wonderful coat that caused his brothers to hate him more. Dreams that God gave him of his pending rule that made them resent him even more. Then he was then sold by his brothers to the Ishmaelites, sold a second time into Potiphar's house. And I'm sure these things were all just happenstantial, weren't they? Circumstantial? No, God had a plan. He had a destination in mind. And he, in, in the rendezvous of these Ishmaelites and selling into Potiphar, was divinely appointed. This is orchestrated by God. Bringing him, bringing Jacob excuse me, Joseph, to proximity to Pharaoh's palace. Then he had a woman who seduced him and lied about him and got him imprisoned unjustly. Then a baker and a butler who forgot about him. And he waited for two years to have his case heard, which never happened. And then Pharaoh, God gave Pharaoh dreams that his, Pharaoh's wise men couldn't interpret. And then the butler said, oh yeah, I remember this guy who could interpret dreams. And, and Joseph, as a result, was appointed prime minister to manage the resources for the seven years before the famine so they might survive the seven years of famine. Then the brothers had to come for grain. And then the invite from Pharaoh to move Jacob for, for, to move to, for Jacob and his family to move to the land of Goshen. You know, when you think of all these things, you think, boy, you think your life's been rough. But all through it all, we recognize that nothing was desperate to God. These weren't desperate rescue attempts by God, cliffhangers, which God was holding his breath and thinking, okay, I, we, we got her done. No, it was perfectly orchestrated by a God who loves us, who has the power and the wisdom and the control to watch over us. He is able, he's always faithful, which includes using the evil of people around us. Because we live in a broken world. We are going to get hurt, we are going to have trouble, it abounds around us, and yet God uses those, even those things to accomplish his purposes and to grow us in our lives. Now, we can choose to fret our days away at every sign of trouble, you know, chew our fingernails to the bone, so to speak, or we can find rest in trusting our God. One of the reasons we read the Bible is to get to know our God and see that he is able and he is faithful and he is loving and kind. 
and you are the object of his love, and he seeks to lift you up, not tear you down. And we can trust him to work out his plan, to working to develop our faith as he cares for us. Every day, every moment, because he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And that's all he asks. Just remember, the Lord is with fill in the blank. That's what that's intended to do. Put your name in there. The Lord is with. No matter what you're going through, the Lord is with. You know, I'm reminded of Jeremiah, who in his beginning of his ministry, God sent him to a people that were hardened. You know, he, he kind of rejected it. God says, I knew you from the womb. I had a plan for you from the beginning. And this, you know, and this, is, what, this is what I want you to do. And Jeremiah says, I, I can't speak. You know, I don't, I, you know, I don't know what to say. And God says, I don't care. I'm going to put words in your mouth, and I'm going to send you to a people who are going to reject you. And in chapter, verse 17, he says this, Therefore prepare yourself and arise and speak to them all that I command you. Do not be dismayed before their faces, lest I dismay you before them. For behold, I've made you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against its princes, against its priests, against the people of the land. They're going to fight against you. But they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you. There it is again. What do you know? Same phrase. For I am with you, says the Lord of hosts, to deliver you. And so Jeremiah was sent to bring the message of judgment to a world which, to a nation which did reject him, resent him, imprison him. Yet God says, they're not going to prevail because I am with you. And that's the confidence we can have in life. And yes, because we live in a in a world which is in rebellion against God, in a world which is broken under the curse of sin, we are going to suffer in various ways. That's life, we might we say. But God is with us. And the world will not prevail. And so why not rest in his care? Why not trust him? Even when I cannot see, we'll trust him in all adversity. Let's pray. Father, you tell us, to trust in you with all our heart as we read in our scripture reading today. You promise to direct our paths. But Father, we see repeated throughout the story of Joseph this promise that you give us in Hebrews 13 that I will never leave you nor forsake you. And therefore, we need not fear. And Father, thank you that we can have that rest. We can have peace and calm in the, in, in, in the midst of the difficulties and challenges the, and the, the hurts of life because you are with us. Your Father, you bring healing to our lives. You bring, you remove bitterness. You bring forgiveness. You bring joy in the midst of the storm because you have a purpose for us. And Father, though many of these situations of life are complex and challenging, Father, we have that simple promise that the Lord is with us. And we're so thankful for that today. May we live in light of that each and every day. May the things we studied here be helpful to us for your glory, we pray now. In Jesus' name.